On this edition of the Magic Memories Podcast, Dennis Newman chats with Rafer Alston, a.k.a. Skip to My Lou, and you're going to love this conversation. Rafer takes us through growing up on the playground courts of New York, his life as an and one mixtape star, fighting his way into the NBA, the finals run in 2009 with the Magic, and much, much more. So get ready. The Magic Memories Podcast starts now. Welcome back once again to the Radio Guy Podcast. Great to have you back as we tour back into magic history over these broadcasts. Some magic memories from years gone by. And today we're going to wander back to that really nice 2008-2009 magic season and that wonderful run to the NBA Finals. And a key to that run, and I think you can make a great argument that there would have been no run without our guest today. I don't think there's any question about that, and that is... Rafer Alston. Rafer, how are you? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. It is good to be able to catch up with you just for a couple of moments. And uh, I, I know for Magic fans, I think that run was so important and so memorable. We'll talk about that coming up. But before we do, just kind of catch us up to date. What's going on in your life these last few years? Well, still loving the game of basketball and staying involved, uh, working with the youth, coaching the youth. Uh, my 10-year-old son plays. Uh, last year I was scouting for the Timberwolves. This year I, I have um, working on a documentary that's being produced by Lions Gating Stars. So just doing, staying busy, staying active. You're one of the few guys I think we can say was was truly a legend before you even played in the NBA because of where you came from, street ball and, and the, right, the, the right. N1 mixtapes and all. Uh, tell us a little bit about that documentary. That sounds like something that would be fascinating, I think, for basketball fans. Oh, definitely. You know, it's just, you know, document on myself, my, my life, and, you know, growing up in New York City and, you know, the whole, you know, path to to the NBA, you know, and, you know, and they're going to, you know, dive into, you know, my life and my family and, you know, surroundings, you know, so it's, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome, you know, growing up playing, you know, everybody, is, most of people is familiar with New York City basketball that, you know, most of the time in summertime, the majority of our basketball tournaments are outside. So, you know, you go up, you grow up playing on the street ball on the playgrounds and, you know, you know, and then, put, you know, just take a look at the journey, the journey from there to all the way to the NBA. Give me a little insight into that, River. I've known you for a long time, known about you and the way you've played in the NBA. Right. Of course, your stint here in Orlando. But how did it begin? Where did basketball start for you? And it sounds like it started right there in Queens. Oh, right there in Queens. Queens, you know, Jamaica, Queens. And, and you know, as a young kid, you, you just, you're excited to go outside and play with your friends. And, and all of a sudden, you fall in love with a game and you start having dreams, aspirations of, of playing major college basketball, make it to the NBA. And, um, you know, I would never put the ball down. You know, no, no matter where, uh, throughout New York City, they, they would take me. I'd always, you know, played the game and loved the game and competed at a high level. Street ball was something that, you know, we do in New York. You know, from from birth, uh, um, that's just what we call the the, the 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 style of play that we play. It was more of an up and down, flashy, always penetrating in the paint. A lot of us never had a jump shot until we got older. <laughs> uh, and we and we love the flair of the game. You know, the behind the back pass. You know, the no look. Oh, and now we also love to trash talk each other. So um, <laughs> it was it was beautiful. It was wonderful. And by the time I got to college and the NBA and. No, nothing, nothing fazed me. You know, uh, the crowd noise, things that people say. You know, I was never bothered because we grow. I grew up uh, through, through that stuff. 
You know, it's always amazed me, you know, how many guys come from the street. But uh, to you, a guy that grew up there and saw so many great players as you were growing up and learning the game, is it a surprise to you maybe that more guys haven't proceeded on to the NBA and play at this level from street ball? Well, well no, to me, no, because, you know, when you grow up in the inner city, you understand the reasons why uh, the majority of them don't make it. Yeah, but mm. Because of the, the you know, the stuff surrounding the city, you know, you you know, see basketball is, is is an outlet for a lot of us, and, and every day you step outside, you have to dodge the pitfalls, uh, that in the traps that you can fall in, and, and and most of them fall fall by the wayside. Uh, so myself, I was one of those guys that just you know, no matter what, even when I was putting myself through some some negative things, I would always get back on track because I didn't want to be the guy that everyone says in the neighborhood, man, he could have, he could have, should have been something special in this game. Is there one or two people, Rafer, that, that you really credit for keeping you on track and keeping your attention on, on whatever we'll call it, the straight and narrow, but to, to be able to stay out of trouble and stay in basketball? Oh, definitely. I mean, the, the, the unfortunate part is they're, they're dead and gone. They passed away. But, but I, my, my, CY, my first coach, I had in CYO. <laughs> my CYO basketball. Every day, every day he would come check on me. And, and as I kept getting older, he will drive by and check on me. And I would go to his house and watch old basketball tapes. He would do everything in his power to keep me uh, out of the streets and, and away from the, the negative outside, you know, uh, you know, so he kept me. He would come and get me, take me to park and work out. He would take me to gym. He would take me to sit me down, talk, or take me to get some meetings. His name was Mike Bell, and um, you know, he would always, always, every day, just find a way to make sure he comes, come around my neighborhood, or just drive through us and and, and make sure I'm all right. Kept you, kept you around the game and, and gave you a career for life. You're still around the game. I know you've done a little bit of scouting. You talked about doing a little coaching now. Are, are you enjoying the coaching part of it? Yes, yes. I think right now for me, I mean, I would love to coach down the line, but I used coaching the U, uh, like my son's fifth grade team. I was coaching uh, high school kids in, in AAU ball. So you just, it's kind of like trying to, you know, fine tune and, and hone your, your coaching skills. And I, I, I utilize that. And then also, I'm get, it's my way of giving back. It's always in the gym, work with them. Everything I've learned throughout my travel in basketball, I'm going to pass it down to those guys. Um, and, and hopefully, they, you know, these kids, these young, these young men could get scholarships. I know it's very hard for, for them to you know, get drafted. It's not easy to get drafted in the NBA. It's not, it's not that many spots with all these players from, you know, in our country and other countries. But at least I can pass them down the line. And, and, and it helps, you know, step one is to get them a scholarship. I tell you what, coaching, Rafer, it, it, it always seems like, especially a guy like you, where it looked like the game came so easily, is it difficult to translate that knowledge, that ability to younger players, or do you find it easy? It, it, a little both. You know, but sometimes you, you, you find some players that has a, uh, just born with that gift, an IQ of the game, and a, a hunger, and a work ethic. And then the, the majority of them, you have to instill that in them. Uh, it, it, the main part of it is trying to teach kids to play the game the right way all the time, and, and play together, and, 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 and you know, and stay together out there. Those are the tough, tough things. And, you, and each individual, you, you, uh, they have a special button you can push. Yeah, you, you can get on one kid, and he can go out there and respond to you. You can get on another kid, he curls up in, in the shell. So you have to find the, the right way to uh, reach each, 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 each person. And that's something I, that I tip my hat to every coach I had, whether it was. 
when I was young or in college, high school, and the pros, I tip my hat because you almost become you're a coach, you're almost a counselor, a psychiatrist. You're like all these things in one. Uh, so it's amazing now when you're trying to do it and realize how hard it is. All right. I want to talk to you a little bit about those those four months. It's amazing. You were only here with the Magic for four months, but what a pivotal four months in the history of this franchise. Can you believe that was 10 years ago? I can't believe it. Every day I look at it, I look at that uniform hanging up in my house and some of the memorabilia from the finals run, and I, I literally can't believe how fast time flies. And, and But I I remember like it was yesterday, and people still remind me everywhere I go, everywhere I go. You know, it's just, we, we, and I just tell people, even, even the young kids I work with, like, man, I almost had a ring. I was that close. <laughs> and indeed you were. There's no question about it. I go back to that point, and, you know, I was with the club at the time, and, you know, Club's moving right along. Jameer goes down their midseason, and they make a move for you a few days later. I think it was February 19, 2019. Yep. You're with That's the Rockets. Right. At, at the deadline. Yeah, and you're, you're with a pretty good basketball team. I, oh, I think the Rockets yes, at that yes. time were 35-19. and 19. Tell us a little bit about that day for you. It, it had to be kind of mixed emotions, wasn't it? The, the day was, yeah, it was a lot of mixed emotions. The day was weird. You know, I, I mean, we're on a good team. We're on a good path. We're on a top four teams in the West, you know, so you know, and, and, and it was, it was kind of like, as far as the players, maybe, and I'm not talking about their talent, but as far as um, the camaraderie was kind of similar, like we all got along, and we all pulled for each other on and off the floor, and I actually practiced, the only thing about that day I was upset about, uh, that I practiced that day. And they traded me. They could have told me beforehand that I was going to be traded, so I, I didn't have to practice. because I could have heard and got and met the team. At, I think we were in uh, Charlotte that day, that night. I was had to meet the team out there and play right away. So I, I wish we could have just went to Charlotte instead of practicing. <laughs> So you, you show up in Charlotte. In fact, I remember when you joined us on the road, you joined the team. How difficult was that transition, the first few games, the first couple of weeks as you joined a new club? Believe it or not, it was simple and easy for me because I, I felt right at home. I'm playing for a coach who I know. I just finished playing for his brother, and so I could hear everything. Just he, Coach Van Gundy didn't have to talk, and I know exactly what he's going to say and yell and what we want to do. The, the, the difficult part was um, I had to adapt to a new uh, got the new team as far as the plays and how they like to play and where they want the ball. And, um, you know, so that was the the, 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 the the part I had to get used to. And, and I got used to it rather quick. And, and, you know, some of the amazing things about that team is that even though um, I'm a point guard, I'm a primary ball handler. I, the amazing part was how um, how good Hilo Turkoglu was was as a, a playmaking facilitator, and mm-hmm. so it, it kind of helped me out as well. You know that I didn't have to do so much from a playmaking standpoint. That you know you could defer to a guy like that, and you know he could see right over the defense with his high. He could shoot the ball. And he he had just an amazing skill set for that team. Now, you, as I said, came from a Houston team that was a really good team with Yao and Tracy. You come to this group. Did you have any inkling, any idea there early, Rafer, that, you know, this is going to be a team that's going to make a run? Oh, definitely, definitely. So, I mean, as soon as they, I was traded to them, I, I thought about championship. And I, and I knew why they came and got me. Uh, it's not that I'm an all-star point guard. It's that they needed just somebody to stabilize, you know, the offense, keep the tempo and the pace because we were an up and down team. Because at that time, Dwight could he he runs like a deer. He can get he can get up and down the court with any center. And so I already knew what the, what it was about. You know, when you when you, when you're in the league for a long time, it, it, some things just doesn't shock you, and you also know 
the game and know some most of the players. It's just getting familiar with them on the court. And I, but I knew from the start when I arrived that it was about winning the championship. You know, and I've heard you talk about that group in those four months before, and it's always struck me when I hear you say that group it was a very unselfish group of basketball players, and really yeah, from the top down. From, and I think a lot of fans, you know, I don't know that that would be the first thing they would think when they thought about that team, but you saw that team as a very unselfish group. Very, very unselfish group. Very unselfish group. You had guys that really could – uh, put up a lot of numbers, but yet they, you know, they they uh, deferred a little bit. They understood what, how we had to play, and I was we we had we had a safety net. We could throw that ball inside to Dwight, you know. But he he could average twenty, but Shaw could average twenty three, twenty four. We, we had some young guys that were coming into their own as the season went, went along with Courtney Lee. Uh, those guys, you know, we had so many components to that team, and, and, and it just all blended well. And and I I, I think when I arrived. For them is to understand that they had a. I'm a pass first point guard, you know. What I'm saying, and you look at the league now, you got more shoot first point guard guards having 25, 27 points a game from the from the point guard. But with me, these all these guys had to do was run and look for the ball. As you look at the NBA now, that's a good point you make there. It, it, the point guard position seems like it's it's changed from that day. Do you see it that yes. way? Yes. Yes. Oh, definitely, definitely. Yeah, point guards. Most of the point guards in the league, are the, the, the team's leading the scorer. Right, look at Kimber Walker, Steph Curry, Damian Lillard, Kyrie Irving, Russell Westbrook before he got traded to Houston. Your point guards now is your leading scorers. Uh, and, and, and it's amazing. It's amazing because I, I grew up in an era where your point guard ran the team. I grew up you know, watching guys like Mark Jackson and, and those type of guys that you know, they, they run the show. They can get you some points, but you know, they just knew how to run the team. Well, you show up and the winner just rolls on. They, they, you know, you pick up right. You know, you've got no Jameer Nelson who's having an all-star year, but the team continues to win. You get to the postseason; the rest is history. But th- those series in the postseason are always interesting to me to hear players later talk about that. I'm going to walk you through that. That first series with Philadelphia ends up four-two in favor of the Magic. How do you remember that series with the Sixers? Well, I remember it because they they stunned us game one. Um, but the beauty of losing game one in the locker room, we didn't we didn't flinch. We we had we didn't waver at all. We didn't think we were gonna lose the series. Uh, then in the middle of that series, we lose to White mm. four games four games. During, I mean, right before game six, we lost to Dwight going to uh, Philly, and people thought it, it would have to come back to uh, Orlando. And I think myself, not just myself, a lot of us that night, even JJ Redick, a lot of us had like career playoff nights. I think I had like a, a double double. Um, at Philly to to, you know, to help clinch it, um, and we were just hitting on all cylinders. We we, we were just hitting on all cylinders, and we, we we just getting up and down and hitting a lot of three pointers on the road to to seal it. I tell you what, Raver, as I look back at that run to the finals, I think my favorite series was that second round against the Boston Celtics, a, a four three win in a seven game series. And that Game 7, for me, might have been one of the best wins in Magic history when you win in Boston in a Game 7 and nobody except you guys believed you could win that game. It was, it was almost the un, unthinkable and unheard of at the time to go into Boston and win a Game 7. Even since I was a young kid watching the game, it's very hard. I don't even know how many times it's ever been done to go in and win a Game 7 in Boston. Um, 
But yet again, that was another another game. The, the, the media, everyone was like, "There's no way they win in Game Seven, and we were just we we were clicking from from the, from the jump tip to the end. We were clicking. I mean, everything was dro- dropping. He was shooting the ball well. The uh, White's willing to deal. Rashad's making shots. I'm hitting threes. I'm, we're pushing the ball. The bench is coming in, and we do the unthinkable. Just one thing, I'll give you something to laugh at about. So the, the game was over. We stayed over that night. And we came back to Atlanta the next night. So uh, I went to dinner. I had I had some friends from New York come up to watch that game. So we went to dinner. Just went to get something to eat. And as we get out the, the taxi, uh, um, as we walk in the restaurant, I see two ladies outside crying. So I stop. I said, hey, ladies, is there anything I can do to help you? I said, anything wrong? I said, what's wrong? They said, the Celtics, the Celtics lost. I had been ran to the restaurant before they realized who I was and that I was part of the team that beat the Celtics before they do something to me, these women. So I just ran in the restaurant. My friends were like, why are you running in? I said, you won't believe what happened outside. <laughs> That's the guy that made us cry right there. <laughs> you know, it was so weird. I just ran. I said, oh, if they really see who I am, it's, this is over for me. <laughs> that was a terrific series, I'll tell you what. And then you go to the next round against the Cavaliers, Rafer, and it was – for me, it was almost anticlimactic because it wasn't quite the series. I mean, even though LeBron James is playing for the Cavs, but it, you could see the team was really gaining confidence quickly. And I look back at that series. You guys went into that series against the Cavs knowing you were going to win. It was not a question. When you looked at your team and the, and the members of that team, there was no chance they were going to lose that series. No, and, and here's the one thing I always tell everybody about that series. We, we could have swept them. If LeBron James doesn't hit the shot in game two, we come back and win two on our floor, we sweep them. So that series could have easily been 4-1 or 4-0, and it went 4-2. Um, one of my things that that series was, I think I told Coach one time, he, we had the game plan or anything, I was like, Coach, you don't have to worry too much about Mo Williams. Because I know one thing, I'm not just giving him these comfort zone shots that he's been getting all season long. I was going to make him drive. So I was all into his shot, and I think he shot in the high 30s or mid 30s that for that series. And, you know, that was a big thing during that series is containing the his LeBron supporting cast. And I thought we did a wonderful job. Le, like we, we didn't let LeBron kill us like that because he had a remarkable series. But we, just, we knew if we could take care of the supporting cast, they really had no chance. So you win an Eastern Conference title. You're going to the NBA Finals. You'll take on Kobe and the Lakers. And this is where it really gets interesting, and you know the story. I think what's interesting to me about you, Ray, for Alston, was Jameer Nelson is ready. He can play now, and now Stan Van Gundy's got to make a decision. We're rolling. We're in the NBA Finals. Ray, for Alston's our point guard. Do we bring Jameer back and try to work him back into the mix, or do we just ride with what we have? And I can always remember – you wanted Jameer Nelson back in that lineup. You wanted him as a teammate oh, yeah. in the NBA Finals. Yes. I, not only did I want him a teammate, I want him to go back into his, his natural role. Because, you know, um, it, it's better to put – when guys are back, put them back in their natural role, what they're comfortable with. It, I think – I thought for him, and the toughest thing for him, because he hasn't had to do with his whole career, is come off the bench and try to get into the flow. He's always a guy that's starting, and, and you know, he can set the tempo. You know, it, it, the person that was tough for the most is tough for Coach Van Gundy. And, and, and to have to have that and have to uh, alter your line, alter the way things were running, because things were running smooth with myself and AJ. But, I mean, you, the thing was is that you never know if you're ever going to get back to the finals in, in your career again. And, and, and these are dream come true moments for all of us. And 
for Jameer to, to get healthy at that time and be able to come out of the finals. We, like, it was something that we all wanted for him. Uh, because you just never know that you ever get back there. Um, obviously, making an adjustment was going to be hard adjusting to him and him adjusting back to us because they were familiar with myself. They are familiar with AJ. And that was the biggest thing, the adjustment that we all were going to have to make, including him, uh, to the way things were going. Um, I, I think the first two games – it showed clearly because our minutes our minutes were different than what it was the first three series. But then the the interesting thing is Coach went back to playing me a, a, most of the game in game three in the other series, and we win, and I have 20 points. And then game four, I'm thinking, okay, well, Coach is going to stick with the way it he did game three. And then we went back to the way it was in game one and two, and we lose again. So I understood from a, from Coach that it, it, was the, it was the most difficult thing for Coach going to ever have to go through. With hindsight, with 10 years now looking back, and I know you've thought about that series time and time again, would you have done it any differently? Do you think the Magic should have done that any differently than they did? No, no. We, we've had, we, we should have been up. We should, have, we should have been going into game four up 2-1. Remember, uh, Courtney misses one of the, the, like a, a layup to win the game in L.A., uh, if everybody, I think it was game one. He just misses a chippy just right at the rim to win it. Right, that goes down. We up one zero. They win game two. We win game three, and then game four. Yeah, uh, I think that was when uh, Fisher hits an incredible shot. Right. Yep. You know what I'm saying? So the, the series, I mean, we just we you know, and one thing we play in the lake is are you in the finals? Uh, everything has to go right. And just some things just didn't go bounce the ball didn't bounce our way, and that's all that happened. But we clearly, we, I replay that and watch all the games again. It's like we could have easily went into game four up two one. Yeah, I tell people all the time for a four one series, that's about as close a series as you'll ever see two overtime games. You talked about the the Courtney shot, the uh, Derek shot. I mean, just a, a tremendous series that ends up four yeah. one in favor of the Lakers. How for you, Rafer? Was that the highlight of your NBA career playing in the final? Oh, definitely, definitely. I thought the highlight of my career was when I was with Houston and we won twenty two in a row, and then I end up going from that to another highlight of my career. Then I get traded to New Jersey and have a low light when I was on the team that lost the most consecutive games in a row. So I went from highlight, highlight to low light. <laughs> and, and that's the thing a lot of people don't remember. I mean, it was just, it was days after that finals appearance, the team calls you in and says, we're going to move you. How shocked was that decision? I, don't know. I was very shocked. I was shocked. And the consensus around the NBA uh, when they made those moves that the, the matter may not get back there. Uh, because they, we didn't need to overhaul the way they need to overhaul. I thought we could m- move a piece, get a piece. You know, we, we, when you're in the finals, you're only a piece away from winning it. <laughs> you know, you maybe and maybe a piece. So I think they, it was like three or four of us that got sent in a trade or something like that. And I was like, wow. And, and like you said, it took no time. <laughs> Before I let you go, I, w- I want to ask you a couple of sh- just short answer questions, but just some guys that you play with. Uh, first of all, maybe the best coach, the best coach you ever played for. Is there one that stands out to you, Rafer? Oh, man, they all been great. I can't pick one, man. I, I played for both the Van Gundy brothers. They were terrific. Um, uh, Rick Allen was terrific. George Carl was such a great basketball mind. I learned a lot my first three years. and it's like They're all terrific. I've learned a lot from every coach that I instill in this, these young kids that I work with now. 
you played with some good ones. How about teammates? One or two that stick out to you that were just um, the best as NBA teammates? You know what? I, the, the, the Tracy Brady won. Uh, he's just a guy that people get, you know, because he wasn't winning uh, playoffs and winning championships. Now, he, he's such a uh, – he's one of those stars that's so selfless and unselfish. Man. He, he, he cares about all the players. He cares about all the players and, and – and, uh, he was to this day. Him and I are good friends. Our families are good friends. Ray Allen was another good superstar I played with. Um, uh, a lot of guys, man. It's Jawan playing with Jawan Howard and Dikemi Matumbo. Just getting a lot of insight and in how to be a professional. Uh, you know, all these guys. You know, they were terrific for me. And then, you know, when I was done playing, the interesting thing was watching Dwight's career because when I was in Orlando he was a wonderful one like I had it was he was so great with us and such a happy-go-lucky young man and to to get the rap he's getting now and the things that the way he's transpired it kind of uh threw me by surprise because that's not that wasn't the, the man I saw and played with when I was um in Orlando like he, he made my life in Orlando so every day I look forward to being in the gym with him and getting in the locker room because he was so much so much fun to be around you know, it's funny, Rafer, you mentioned Dwight Howard right now. I'm looking. I'm here at the Amway Center. We play Lakers tonight. I'm looking down on the court. Dwight's down there. That's right. Um, lo- looks <laughs> phenomenal. Give me your thoughts on this Lakers team this year. Have they got – obviously, they've got a chance to win it all. Do you feel like this is an NBA championship team? Uh, the Lakers definitely an NBA championship team. And the, the way the supporting cast has stepped up defensively and helped. And Dwight is a major factor. Uh, in that, you know, his ability to bounce back after all these different uh, situations, so-called gone bad, he's been the big key to their success as an anchor back there uh, for that team. But they, they, you know, as long as they can stay healthy, continue to play the defense and, and, and hit, hit some outside shots, they're, they're going to be a tough team to beat every night. Before I let you go, I got to ask you about Steve Clifford because I know you played for Steve, and it uh, sounds like guy. Steve worked you pretty hard. That's my guy. <laughs> From what I he hear, worked my behind. Uh, Steve ain't let me go home for the off season. <laughs> I, I, remember, I remember that till this day. Until this day, I can't wait to see him. So I tell him, you took you took away one of my off season vacations. He he made me stay in Houston to work on my jump shot and get better. And I told him I have no problem doing it. <laughs> and then I did it. And then when I got traded to uh, Orlando, it was the same thing during the season. He knew every day, even on the off day. He, he said, "Man, Ray, you know you coming in with me." <laughs> so, he made sure I stayed uh, in good basketball rhythm, and my jump shot, three shot, point shot, was staying on, on, staying intact as the season went on. We'll be sure to say hi to him for you, Ray for Alston. Please you've do. been generous with your time. Thank you so much. You played such uh, a memorable part in Magic history. We thank you for thank sharing you. some memories again with us, and I hope we see you soon, Rafer. You know, some, yeah, after the holiday, I got to work my way down and come come down, hang out with you guys, and come watch a game. Absolutely. You're welcome anytime, and I think I speak for all Magic fans. Thank you. Tell everybody hello. Thank you, Rafer Olsen. That is it for today's podcast. We thank Rafer for his time, and we look forward to seeing you again real soon. 